Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. The Home Nation Series returns for a fourth year on Monday with the English Open, which, uh, of course, we play once again in Crawley. It's followed by the Northern Ireland Open, the Scottish Open and the Welsh Open. If anyone wins all four, they win a million pounds. OK, good luck with that. Well, there's been already in just three years quite a few memories and quite a few issues arising. And this year, Will Snooker trying to build these events up a bit with a few new initiatives. I talked about that and uh, the history of these tournaments recently with Phil Yates and Michael McMullen. So the Home Nations then, about to uh, enter its fourth season. Um, a bit of a boon, I guess, for UK snooker, isn't it? You know, in, in recent years, we've seen expansion in China and parts of Europe. There have always been snooker in England, but particularly places like Northern Ireland and Scotland, um, always been hotbeds and sort of strongholds, but now we've got major tournaments again. I think there was a time when there were only three major ranking events in Britain, after the Grand Prix, which then became the World Open, went. I think we were down to just the Welsh, the World and the UK. Now, is it nine? Then, yeah, you've got the Champion Champions and Masters as well. So to have 11 full-scale major tournaments played in big arenas, live on television, with big crowds every season, I don't think even our most optimistic forecasts a decade or so ago would have foreseen that. Yeah, and also, it, it makes sense, doesn't it, as a series? People understand what it is. It's the four home nations. Yeah, I think the Welsh is slightly mm. apart from the other three because of its history and its kudos. Uh, it's been around for a while. It's played in a fantastic venue. I think the best venue of the four of the home nation. So it just seems to me, especially being the last one as well, it's slightly elevated above the other three. But I think it's a great idea. My only criticism of the home nations, I think by cramming in too many matches, they don't do themselves a, a, you know, a great service there. And... Who wants to see two rounds in the same day? I think that's bad. Apart from that, I love the I love the concept. I love the fact it's really busy. There's loads of good snooker. Everybody's there. Good crowds mostly. I think it's a great idea. But I just would like to see that two rounds in one day. 
dissolved into just one round. It's certainly true. Um, the first couple of days are like a madhouse. I mean, literally, obviously, you've got 128 players, but they don't just come on their own. They've got friends, family, you know, and, and they can't always get to practice. Sometimes you see like, two players practicing on the, on the same table, even. But uh, what it has done, of course, is it's uh, created great memories for, for various players. It started with Liang Wenbo winning uh, the English Open when he was played in Manchester. Um, and, you know, an example of a player who look like you know he could win the tournament but there are only so many events you know on the calendar but suddenly there's a new one and he's come along he's beaten beaten trump in the final and pulled out the greatest uh, end of match celebration mm. i think we've ever seen leaping around what was it called event city was yeah. the event in uh, the, the arena in manchester and that's the thing i mean you talk about stories and that'll feature a lot in this that has been i think the story of the home nations is just the amount of uh, players who have come through they've had their moment in the sun you know, we're going to be in Crawley next week for the English Open. Mark Davis so nearly had the most fantastic story, you know, playing basically on home ground. But then there were the players who saw it through. Liang Wenbo had been a player of immense potential. But, you know, there just weren't enough tournaments for everyone to get the job done. Yeah. And that's just the thing. It's the sheer volume of events now. It's not like, you know, say the European Golf Tour, where there's an event almost every week. If you're good enough, you'll win something eventually. But there were just not enough events for everyone to have their moment. And that, I think, more than anything, is what the home nations has brought to the circuit, the sheer volume of opportunities for players to do that. Yeah, and that was evidenced in the next event uh, in Belfast mm -hmm. uh, three years ago. Mark King, I mean, he'd been a pro since 1991. Um, been knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And it wasn't only the fact that he won it, it was how he won it. And... You know, in a decider against Barry Hawkins and his family were there. It was amazing, really. The other thing that's amazing to me, and it just proves that the cream do rise to the top, best of sevens, you would think the top players would be vulnerable, but you look at the list of winners and they, they clearly aren't. My three abiding memories of the home nations so far, two were brilliant, one was a blunder. The Kao Peng collapse mm. against Neil Robertson, it was hard to watch. I mean, cool. he just blew it, basically. Let's not uh, mince our words. It was a complete and utter choke. Probably the biggest I think we've ever seen in a big final. Uh, and you could see it happening. It was just a sort of car crash in slow motion before our very eyes. The two great achievements for me in the home nations so far have been Ronnie O'Sullivan at the English Open, beating Karen Wilson in the final. But it was his entire performance over that week he played some of the best snooker he's ever done and we're talking about Ronnie O'Sullivan here so the bar was ridiculously high and the other one which might be a little bit more lost in the in the history of the game is Marco Fu when he won the Scottish Open mm. God, he was dunking in century breaks for fun phenomenal and up against hometown favourite as well you know which always adds a bit more to it I remember in Preston last season after Ronnie had won there you said to him well played Ronnie and you, you start, started listing, you know, and it was a very brief list, other times he'd played as well as that. And you mentioned that English yeah, Open yeah. final. Yeah. And the fact that even Ronnie agreed that he'd played brilliantly yeah, in that, yeah. well, I mean, you yeah. know, that says it all, doesn't it? Well, that Karen Wilson final, I think it was one of the very few times where a player would have left a final, i.e. Karen, absolutely not disappointed whatsoever because... Ronnie was unstoppable. He was phenomenal in that match. Kyron came out with a great line, actually, because around the same time, he was uh, heavily beaten as well by Ding in a final out in China in a quite remote place. I think it was Yushan, which I've never been, but as far as I know, it's a long way from anywhere. And he remarked about that uh, around that time. I think it may, he may have said it after the English, that the journey back to the airport had taken longer than the match itself. Yeah. <laughs> so he was getting a few batterings around that time. Marco Fu, uh, he... he as you say, played so well against John Higgins in that final in Glasgow. John had all his family there. And, and, and John, being a nice guy, invited Marco back to his house. We said, oh, we're going to have a right old drink. And right old... But, of course, Marco doesn't drink. And I think quite wisely he thought, no, I should not get involved in this. Don't go drinking with John Higgins anyway, <laughs> even if you do drink. And, yeah, and the, the O'Sullivan performance, um, I think, it underlined something as well about this whole 
uh, sort of format. I think Ronnie, we know he doesn't like the kind of these events where it is a cast of thousands because obviously he gets hassled as well by people. Um, the time to beat him is early on. If he gets through to the latter stages, then it's just another normal tournament and he wants to win it. Yeah. And quite often, not just in the home nations, but in other tournaments over the years, quite often uh, the guy who's won the match hasn't beaten him, Ronnie beaten himself. Uh, I think sometimes he gets a bit overwhelmed by the, the carnival sort of circus atmosphere there, those events. But if you get, as you say, deep into the tournament, then he thinks, hold on a minute, I've got a title here, I could win. And of course, for Ronnie O'Sullivan, the forthcoming English Open is very important because he needs ranking points. Mm. He's not bothered about his world ranking, but what he is bothered about is getting into the World Grand Prix, the Players' Championship, and hopefully the Tour Championship later in the year. So he needs a good uh, deep run at the English Open and indeed at Yushan the week after. You would think in another sense, actually, the home nations would really suit Ronnie O'Sullivan because there's not much hanging around. Because mm. the schedule is so so quick, you're playing a match pretty much every day, two in a day at one stage, and we know he hates the hanging around. Uh, so you would think it would actually suit him really well from that point well, of view. Well, one thing that does suit him, of course, a bit like, I guess, Federer at Wimbledon, he's going to be on the number one table. Mm. You know, I mean, because there's been times, like Mark Selby ended up, because of scheduling, Phil mentioned you sort of the schedule issues, he ended up, one of his matches got put on table five um, in one of these tournaments, and, you know, you couldn't see him, you needed to send out a search party to find him, and he, and he got beat down there. But that's not a problem for Ronnie. But here, we touch on, like, the early rounds, best of sevens. Um... We, you never really used to see best of sevens years ago, and now we see a lot of them. And, of course, I guess the, the one thing about them is there are no intervals, so you don't get that chance that you get in the best of nines if you're trailing to sort of regroup and come back out again. It's amazing how much shorter it seems than yeah. a best of nine. You know, It's only one frame in the difference in terms of how many you have to win. I do think that's good, you know, um, that there's no interval in it. You know, you see the whole contest in one go, and... I often suspect with best of nines, best of elevens, maybe kind of casual viewers maybe drift away at the mm. interval and don't come back to it. There's no danger of that in a best of seven. And, of course, it's led to some really high standard matches. I mean, we've seen some outstanding performances in the home nations, players just producing real relentless top quality because there's no interval there to disrupt their rhythm. It's true. I think we've seen... Like, I did a match with Sam Craigie against Karen Wilson mm. in Belfast a couple of years ago. And it's an example of actually how good these players can be you know, obviously not everyone can win everything, not everyone can be in the top 16, but someone like Sam Craig who came out just played unbelievable snooker. I think it was the first match he played wearing glasses, although he didn't wear them now for some reason. But it was an example of, and it's a chat, this is the thing about these events, it's a chance to see some of these guys. It is what Barry Hearn says, it's opportunity, okay, we'll give you the chance, you show us what, we can, what you can do. They don't all show us, of course, but it's an opportunity to do that. Yeah. The big difference between best of seven and best of nine, it doesn't seem a great numerical difference but this is the big one you see loads of matches won 4-3 from 3-0 down yes how many yeah. times do you see yeah. a best of 9 won 5-4 from 4-0 down you can count them on your hand can't you I remember Ryan Day doing it against uh, Steve Davis once at the Welsh it, it's so rare you'd actually remember those instances Ken did it to Watermout twice actually yeah. which was extraordinary but, but extremely rare they absolutely are, they are rare yes and the thing is though at the same time if you're 2-0 down in a best of 9 you feel you've got you know, plenty of time to turn it around in a best of 7 you're right under it already. But as you say, players do manage to turn it around. And again, maybe part of that is because if you are trying to stage a bit of a comeback, there's no interval there to disrupt your, your, the momentum that you're building. Traditionalists criticise it for being too short. I don't agree with them. I think it's a lengthy enough match to be meaningful. I really do. Personally, I think best of nines are the classic distance. But best of sevens, definitely meaningful. And you can see it in the results of the tournaments. The people who've won the events over the years... It's not a, a cavalcade of lower or middle-ranked players who've won them. 
the vast majority of those home nations events have been won by big names. Well, even the surprise winners, you know, they're still all really good players who've accomplished a lot in, in the game. So, yeah. How can the, the series be enhanced, I suppose, is, is the next question. There's this million-pound bonus, which, you know, it exists because it can't be won. I mean, no, no, Barry's not going to give away a million pounds for nothing. Um, no one's going to win all four. Could, do you not think Ronnie could do it? Well, in theory, yeah, but... Put it this way, right? How many players win four tournaments in a season? Okay, never mind a specific. Four. Yeah, it's, I mean it's not all right. It's not impossible. Okay, that's wrong, but it's highly improbable. Yeah, the, the other thing about it is, I do agree, it is highly improbable. I think O'Sullivan is maybe the only one who could mm. possibly do it. But even if it's not one, imagine the publicity. Mm. Even if someone was to win, even the first two actually would be great to drive publicity for the Scottish Open. Mm. And then imagine if you won all three. It would be a fantastic story, even if you didn't quite manage to pull it off. I just wonder if, and there has been sort of talk behind the scenes of this, right from the start actually, if you couldn't sort of pull it together at the end. So obviously you're not guaranteed four different winners of the four tournaments, but actually each year there have been. Um, could there be like a final event for them? Now that's easy to say. Someone would have to put it on and put the money up. But they, maybe that would then enhance it further. I don't know. It might, but I wonder what people really buy into it. It's a bit like sort of the FIFA Club World Cup, <laughs> where you bring together the champions of all the different confederations, and no one's really that bothered about it. So, I don't know, I mean, four players, you wouldn't really get the chance to build much momentum. Okay, so what about what they're doing with this new European series, which is then, okay, there's whoever performs best in the four events, there's then some bonus after that. Which is significant, actually. Mm. I think that's a really good idea, because what it does is it will guarantee you a better field most doubt undoubtedly at the shootout and definitely in Gibraltar because there's two incentives in Gibraltar. One is that you might win that bonus and secondly, you might need the 50 grand which is an enhanced first prize in itself. You might need the 50 grand to make the Tour Championship. So I think the field in Gibraltar will be undoubtedly improved and considerably at that. You, you could maybe go halfway between it. You could have the four winners and then a points table based on your performances across the four, mm. and then another four players coming in from that to have an eight-man event. But where would you fit it in? Do you, I, yeah, I suppose, here? do you need another, another yeah, tournament? But yeah, I just yeah. think, like, the, the million-pound bonus was a good way of publicising it, but it kind of gets shot down, basically, after about three days in Belfast, normally. Because normally the winner of the yeah, English yeah. just goes out early. I, I think that's literally is what has happened every yeah. year. I, <laughs> yeah. I think the English winner has never got beyond the first few yeah. rounds in Belfast. And there's a chance this year... Let's just say hypothetically Ronnie wins the English Open. There's a chance he won't play in Northern Ireland. So, you know. Uh... Well, he said he didn't want the million pound bonus when he had the chance to win it. I remember him saying, actually, oh, I'll give it to the poor people. And I said, well, all of it. Well, maybe not all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wants to give it to us. You feel free. Mind you, it's not the only. You're not poor people. <laughs> it's not the only ludicrous bonus, of course, this year. You know, the 20 maximum breaks to divide the million pounds bonus. Here we are in the middle of October. There's been one so far. And I can't imagine it would. Well, people aren't going for them. No. People are not going for the maximums. This is just a fact. One thing that they are doing next, starting next week, and they, are, they seem to be trying to push, and we're going to talk about a couple of things, that, sort of innovations, but one of them is, is just how the players look. They're not going to be wearing waistcoats. They're just wearing black shirts. Um, we were sort of talking about this on the way over. Uh, we're at the Championship League, and it, we kind of agreed, I think, that it doesn't really matter that much, that it, as long as they look smart. The bow ties and all that, People, some people like, some people think it's stuffy. I think as long as players kind of look presentable, does it really matter? Yeah, I, th I think this, what they're doing with the, the, the shirts they're having, it would certainly be better than the polo shirts. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's a particularly great look you know, for, for a big event. I agree with you, though. It's not really that consequential. But I do think maybe, and I'm, I'm like the last person in the world to modernise for the sake of it, and I'm <laughs> such a traditionalist. Yeah. 
but you're actually dressed in in the sort of a, a great coat now, aren't you? Yeah, in the top yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually not true, by the way. Like most of what's on these podcasts. But um, but even I kind of when when I look at it now and I see the bow ties and uh, the waistcoats and you know it's eleven o'clock in the morning mm. and you think. You know, really, in 2019, is this maybe just a little bit too old-fashioned at this mm. stage? If even I'm saying that, then I think, you know... One thing, yeah, I think the, sh- the shirts are good. I think, obviously, they've done a deal with, with this company, which is good, but does anyone have to wear black? Or could they not, I don't know, could they not mix it up a bit? Well, at the British Open in 02, of course, yeah. didn't they have the high-ranked player wore red and the other player wore blue? Mm. But I don't think it would make a great deal of difference. But yeah, maybe give a bit of a choice, but the thing is... You look at it, most of them wear black shirts all the time anyway, so that mm. probably 90% of them would choose to do that. They're wearing black to mourn the death of waistcoats. My only <laughs> contribution to this will be to say it's uh, cosmetic and on the periphery and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, and I think, I think we all agree on that, but within the context of the, of the discussion about it, I, I, think, th- I think it's yeah, a good move. I think, to be fair to Will Snugger, they are trying to like, brand these tournaments. I mean, they had um, like Sean Murphy and them reading at Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know what they got planned. A bit worried about Northern Ireland, mm. actually, with some of the other tournaments. But anyway, we will see. But now you two, of course, are wetting your beaks in, in a couple of things uh, that are going to be happening next week. Mm-hmm. Um, Snooker Radio. Snooker, yeah, I was coming on to it, don't yeah. worry. Snooker Radio. So it's been announced. Uh, you're, Michael, you're involved in it very yeah. much. Explain what it's all about. Well, I'll explain once we've actually done a week and then <laughs> I know it's going to be involved. No, it's myself and Hector Nunns. Both of us have been around the game a very long time. So we're going to be doing this... Um, for the first four days of the English Open. So the idea is the earpieces in the main arena, um, obviously you can always listen to the main table commentary, but now there's going to be a second channel on those, so you'll be able to listen to Snooker Radio. I assume also they'll now try to promote the idea of people wearing earpieces at the other mm. tables. And, of course, it'll all be available online. What it consists of is we'll be doing commentary, I suppose, on table two, but that's only really part of it. In addition to that, and probably even more significant, be constantly updating all the stories from the other tables, keeping everyone up to date on the progression of the matches. And we'll have players coming in for interviews. We'll have other guests as well. There's no way you two won't be press-ganged into it at no, some point. Try stopping us. So uh, we'll see how it goes next week. But, um, and it's, also, it's online, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it's all online. Yeah, it's all on uh, worldsnooker.com. So that's where your biggest audience is going to be. I think it's an absolutely great idea. I really well, you do. get it like at Wimbledon, don't you? And the Open Golf. Wimbledon, the Open, uh, Ryder Cup, yeah. all that sort of thing. So look, it's, it's definitely worth giving a go. I know Hector and I are both uh, very excited excited about uh, getting stuck into it and, uh, and seeing how it goes and the idea is if it goes well next week um, which I'm sure it will that uh, we'll move on then and do it at the other home nations maybe the UK so it could become a regular thing and it, like all these things I think it starts off as something and then perhaps evolves into something else um, so let's uh, I guess uh, the key thing is to get the message to people at tournaments that they can do this and I mean there's so much going on there's only mm. so much you can follow and great stories going on everywhere um, and that's what Hector and I will be uh, will be trying to bring to people uh, at the English Open next week. And you're talking to two different audiences. You're talking to the people who are actually at the venue. And it's any venue where there is a partition where you can't see the entire situation. The German Masters comes to mind where you can see every single table. Mm-hmm. So every other venue, you can't see every table. If you're in a certain place, you want to know what's going on, uh, You know, especially with so many matches. So you will definitely, you and Hector will definitely enhance the experience of the people who are going and wearing those earpieces. Mm-hmm. Plus, all of the thousands, millions, hopefully, who listen on the World Snooker website will have absolutely up-to-date information about the tournament, and that's bound to enhance their enjoyment of it as well. It's very easy to get it online, actually, if you go to worldsnooker.com. There's some details on there on it, about it at the moment, but if you go on, uh, on Monday morning from 11 o'clock UK time, uh, there'll be a link to it there, and uh, you can listen away. And it's all free, by the way.
Yes, indeed. Uh, well, I remember the, the, the early years of the earpieces. I think the first ever year, I can't remember, it was, would have been... Well, Alan Hughes was still around, so it was like mid-2000s. And I had one for some reason, and I remember I went, got home, and just out of kind of curiosity... Uh, at home, I turned it on. I thought, you know, and I, you, I picked up a local pirate radio station. Now, I'm not saying that you, that happens now, but yeah, they. Uh, that was actually an early version of snooker radio. Maybe that's yeah. yeah maybe Hector that's, and I were doing that from a van in, ge- in gestation. Yeah, sounds good, and and people of course can interact as well and send in their, their thoughts. They can, yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll certainly give an airing to people's views on the matches and what's going on, what yeah. they think is going to happen, and any stories that, that that develop, which always seem to develop at the home nations events. Yeah. One thing about the advent of earpieces, and you know this, Dave, uh, as I've discovered and obviously the BBC commentators do as well, is that you need to be very disciplined about what you mm. actually say in commentary because if you say, it very rarely happens with me because I'm not funny, but if you, mm. <laughs> if you say something that's mildly amusing and people laugh just as people are on a shot, that can be very disruptive. I know it happened at the Crucible, not mentioning any names, but I know that uh, Neil Robertson in particular was uh, was taken off and you really have to be mindful of it. Well, it was interesting last year because at Crawley there was a match where I called a foul that hadn't been seen as Ronnie O'Sullivan and Lou Hong Hao. And, of course, all the people... And most people seem to have the earpieces, so it kind of everyone in the audience knew what happened and everyone watching at home knew what happened. The only people who didn't know were the players and the referee, which yes. is kind of odd, isn't it? Um, I think it does, you're right, though. I think you have to be careful and be mindful that, you know, you're, you're not there. It's not like, you know, at the comedy store. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a snooker tournament. But, by the way, I just want to say something here. I remember that incident, and I cannot praise you enough... Oh, for you what can. you no, did, please, please. No, no, seriously, <laughs> seriously, that was a very brave and correct move. Well, you know, it was a foul. Yeah, um, exactly. That's well, it. Well, Rodney, of course, as we all know, wanted you to go out into yeah. the arena and intervene. Which I've got, flag, obviously... I've got a flag this year, just in case there is a foul. <laughs> yeah, the issue there. I mean, look, I don't actually don't blame Ronnie uh, for that. I think what a lot of people don't understand is the marker. You have a referee and a marker. The marker listens to the commentary, so actually, the person marking would have heard what we said and actually could have said something. Mm. Problem was, a couple of shots had kind of happened since then, so it was a little bit difficult. It was very unfortunate because it did turn the match around. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all in the past. It's not only you that's wetting your beak, of course, Phil. Uh, you, as ever, you're, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're you're involved. There's a new uh, there's a new uh, highlights initiative. Yes, basically, I'm dampening my beak. I will say. <laughs> no, what it is, um, Dom Wright, who's uh, <laughs> an excellent producer. Didn't expect that phrase. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just trying to make out that I'm not going to as much money as he is. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> so Dom Wright is a producer for IMG, who's excellent, and for a number of years now, he's been saying, "Look, I think we need to produce." daily highlights on snooker for the market around the world who haven't got the live feed and the more I thought about it the more I thought this is a really really good idea so basically they're going to Certainly do for you <laughs> yeah well no I'm minimal involvement so basically what they're going to do is that in countries that haven't got the, the live who want to take the, the highlights we'll have all the commentary um, that has already been provided on Eurosport on ITV or on BBC depending on which is the host broadcaster I'll sort of do welcome to, you know, links, uh, other results, that kind of thing. And we're going to do a half an hour programme every day, which will be distributed around the world. So people can see, if they can't otherwise see, see on live TV, what's happened in that particular event. We're doing it uh, at the English Open to start off with, and hopefully it will become a, a regular fixture. But also, as well, to enhance the experience on the website, uh, to add on to your uh, radio stuff, which is going to be live, each and every day... The morning after play has been completed, you'll be able to access a three-minute highlights package on worldsnooker.com of what's gone on 
on the morning of day two, you'll be able to see what happens on, on day Great one. Great way to start the day, isn't it? You know, you're at work, what happened at the snooker sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Minutes, yeah. Yeah. Th- 30 years ago, the first ranking event in Dubai was shown on Eurosport. I think it was on delay, maybe about a couple of weeks afterwards. And on my TV, you couldn't actually get Eurosport. There was like a scrambled version of it. So everything kind of wobbled. You could see everything in three, sort of like three yellows, three greens, <laughs> no commentary or anything like that. And I actually watched it because this was, I thought, this is amazing. Actually seeing these pictures of this yeah. tournament in Dubai. Now it just seems every tournament we go to, there are more and more ways and opportunities for people around the world to keep in touch on everything as it happens. Not watching it in a scrambled signal three weeks after mm. it's been played. It's amazing how it's all changed. I used to do the commentaries for IMG in Thailand and Dubai. And what happened was you did the commentary as live then they would send the tapes back on a plane mm. and it would be sh- shown on Sky the following day. How the world has changed. Well, Rolf Kalb, I mean, he's been on this podcast and he said, you know, obviously there was no snooker on German TV in the 80s and he used to, people would send him tapes. They'd send him videos from Britain and so like six weeks after the Mercantile Classic or something, he'd, he'd sit down and, you know, and watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Like, they announced this week, I think, India and Pakistan, you can watch it on Facebook, I think, or, or, or yes. live somewhere yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and it's great because it's spreading the word, the world, the word around the world. And uh, you know, maybe some people would say, well, the English Open, it's not one of the real majors, but you know, th- there's going to be some great snooker played next week, guaranteed. So, I tell you what, brought it home to me the the international uh, imprint of snooker. I mean, I think the amateur game has been uh, growing exponentially, but also the professional game. Uh, when Mark Williams won the World Championship. Um, because myself and Dave, as you do, Michael, know him really, really well. When he came into his press conference, you know, the naked press conference. I'm trying a, to forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a photograph of him with the, with the towel around. I mean, I was giving him a hug and Dave was shaking his hand and all that kind of stuff. His hand, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that photograph was taken by some, some photographer. And a few weeks later, it was, someone sent it to me. Um, they'd been on, in Sri Lanka on holiday and they'd seen it in the newspaper. You know, and you think... You don't realise mm. just how the the reach of snooker has expanded all the time. I mean, I know table fitters have said they've gone to sort of you know Mongolia and things to yeah. to fit tables in all over the place. It's extraordinary. But tournaments are turning up in the least likely locations. I mean, Latvia has had a ranking mm. event for the last number of years. Austria now, mm. the European Masters. Last word on the home nations. Uh, I think another good innovation is the, this naming the trophies after the, the sort of the legendary figures: Steve Davis, Alex Higgins. Stephen Hendry, uh, Ray Rin, because I've said in an earlier podcast, we're not that great. I think we're very good on nostalgia in snooker, but actually not that great on heritage. Mm. At least this is a way of actually commemorating these, these players. Yeah, and while we're on that, maybe, not in the home nations, but somewhere along the way, as he's perhaps coming to the end of his career, a Clive Everton trophy or something. I mean, the man who invented snooker journalism, yeah. let's be honest about it, none of us would probably be doing what we do if Clive yeah. hadn't blazed the trail for us. And indeed, he's played such a significant role in paving the way for all the changes that have happened in the game over the last 10 years, enabling you know, Barry Hearn to mm. come in with a new regime and have events like the Home Nations. So just slightly off point, I think that's something that needs to be discussed. The Masters would have been ideal, but obviously that's already been taken yeah. by... Don't, don't another... make it the shootout, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be the final insult to Clive. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think it should be that, but I, I agree with the, the principle, though, certainly, yeah. yeah. OK, well, the English Open is the first Home Nations event. It starts on Monday. I'll be commentating for Eurosport. Michael will be doing Snooker Radio. Phil will be doing the highlights and uh, I hope everyone enjoys the, not just that tournament but the rest of the series. And goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.